Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Jen Chavez. When Portland author Joshua James Amberson gets interested in a topic, he embraces it and goes deep. And something on his mind lately is eyes and vision. Not just his own, though a rare genetic condition that affects his vision makes the topic a part of his daily life. But everyone's, the histories and social nuances of vision and vision loss, what and how we see. Amberson has written a new collection of essays about all this called Staring Contest Essays About Eyes. And he joins me now to talk more about it. Joshua James Amberson, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jen. It's really an honor. Yeah, it's an honor to have you with us. So I would love it if you could start us off with a reading from the book's preface, Origin Stories. Yeah, sure thing. This is from the very end. This is a book about eyes. Before I started having trouble with my eyes, I never, at least consciously, thought about them. I never thought about how the act of seeing dominated my life and experience of the world. Like most people, I just saw. I started thinking about eyes because I had to, because there was something wrong with mine. I didn't consider them an interest. It took me years to realize how much time I'd spent casually, lazily, considering eye-related bits of daily life, the complex social politics of winking, the curious history of eye charts, the emotional impact of overhead lighting. But after identifying, after I identified the eyes and vision as being interests of mine, I began looking more, looking at things I'd never thought I'd to look at. Now I think about eyes because I want to. It's a preoccupation that feels good to be preoccupied with, even if I wish I'd never been chosen by the subject. I've come to believe that a single subject has the power to open up the world, that it can serve as an access point to every other subject, that it can make connections that otherwise might not be made. In time, a staring contest became the easiest way for me to think about this looking long and hard to figure out what's already there. I never thought of staring contests as combative. To me, they're connective, an agreed-upon chance to be playful while also looking deeply. So I like to imagine I've been staring in an effort to share, to think broadly about the world, to let other people in on a series of questions I don't have answers for. Thank you. That's Joshua James Amberson reading from the preface of his new book, Steering Contest. Joshua, you were born with a rare genetic condition called Pseudoxanthoma elasticum, or PXE. First, very first of all, what is PXE? That's a calcification of the tissues in the body, and so um, it tends to manifest most in certain parts of people with PXE, as it's called, is, um, are, are affected in different ways, some in the legs and um, extremities and, and some in their digestive systems and, um, and some in their eyes and some, some in various different ways. And so um, 
I've always called it my eye condition because it started affecting my eyes pretty early on. Many people don't have retinal issues related to PXC as early as I did. Um, I started having retinal hemorrhaging in my mid-20s, and many people don't have it until their 50s or 60s or 70s. So, um, so it's a bit of an unusual case, and um, and it's something that was diagnosed in my early teens, but it wasn't something I'd really. I it, it was something I'd tried to ignore up until the point I started having retinal hemorrhages. Yeah, and so so yeah, you you got this diagnosis years before it had effects on your vision, like you're saying, although you do, you did experiencing that earlier in life than, than many others with PXE do. Um, when you did start experiencing these effects, what was it like? Like, what did you, what did you experience with your vision? Well, during a hemorrhage, it's, uh, pretty rapid vision loss and um and it that that's relative i suppose but um it would change every day and get get worse and um and things uh take on a kind of curved nature so Everything has a fisheye quality to it, um, and this was this was just in my right eye. So uh, initially, in my left eye was compensating, and um, that I was I was sort of able to to not notice it for a while or, or to ignore it. But um, but before I was able to secure funding for my my first treatments um, fifteen years ago, um, I. I let it go pretty far the first time, just out of financial necessity. So, um, so that was maybe the most extreme case uh, I've had in the years since that. Though I've had many, many hemorrhages since. And so, you know, you write about this personal narrative of of um, your diagnosis and, and the beginnings of your treatments and, but you weave it through so much more. And one of the things that you include in this book, um, are essays about, uh, the histories of different tools or approaches to vision, sometimes woven in with some of your own narrative. And one of these focuses on eyeglasses. You started wearing glasses as a kid. What is your relationship with glasses? And did your research into them affect how you thought about them? Yeah, at this point in my life, I really, I, I love glasses. I, you know, not just mm. as uh, a beneficial tool, but I like them. I, like, I just like to see them in the world. And I think they're interesting. And they're, and But researching them did give me... Um, some perspective on their history and my own history with them is something that I was a very shy kid and getting glasses in 1980s rural elementary school felt like uh, a social death to me. You know, it was I thought about it very dramatically and um, was very worried that I would be bullied or um, you know, just 
excluded because of them. And I don't know how much of that was true, but that was what was in my head at the time. And so I have maybe a little bit of complicated history with them because I tried to avoid wearing them for so long. And, um, and, and the history of, of eyeglasses did put that into some perspective too. Um, and, you know, until less than a hundred years ago, they were, um, treated as, as a visible sign of disability. And so they, they were even, um, medical journals would suggest not wearing them all the time. And um, so there was some the, some history to back up the feelings that my younger self had had. So it did change how I looked at, at my past and my my entire life relationship with, with eyeglasses. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Portland author Joshua James Amberson about his new book, Staring Contest Essays About Eyes. Um, So as you grew up, like most of us, you were influenced by popular culture, which told you things about the world. Part of this book is meditating on how different aspects of vision or vision loss were represented in pop culture. And a few of these really stood out to me. One of the essays was about the harms of the cartoon Mr. Magoo. Can you first describe Mr. Magoo and and what did that character tell you about sight growing up? Yeah, Mr. Magoo, is, uh, the character is a low vision, older man who walks into situations very assuredly and um, causes mayhem essentially, and um, and I, I think for most viewers the joke is his vision that that and not 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 so much his um, his overconfidence, but but just the fact of how little he can see. So yeah, um, yeah. So it. It, and it is an, a very enduring cartoon as well. So um, you know, I had um, took s- six different forms, uh, various titled Mr. Magoo shows and uh, live action movie and Christmas specials. One, of, I think, the first or one of the first animated Christmas specials. So um, really, just. For, for a character most people don't think about or, or that I have never really heard anyone um, have a lot of love for or fandom for, um, mm. really just stayed on the air and in, in pop culture relevance for a really long time. Yeah. Um, so another one of these essays about representation that really stood out to me was the one that you wrote about Stevie Wonder and his album Inner Visions, which I have been listening to nonstop ever since I read your book. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> you write the title of the album, along with the richly imagistic lyrics, seemed to imply that below the surface there was an internal self, a truer self. What draws you toward this idea, an internal self with inner visions separate from uh, external vision of the world around us? Yeah, I think 
part of that, and and this the book, I, it, though there isn't a clear chronology throughout the book because the main narrative line is, is like you said, weaving in and out, and uh, with with the publisher Perfect Day Publishing, local Portland press, uh, we talked a lot about not wanting to have um, have markered very we didn't want to have years along the way um and overburden the reader with a lot of um time-based things that that they had to keep track of and um but the book is about me figuring out a lot of things for myself too and being ignorant at various points and part of that ignorance is i think the limitations that that society and myself at various points put on people who are blind and um and and i think that's what you just read is is part of that is realizing that sight doesn't or or the ability to see rather doesn't determine who you know um what kind of person what who the person is or the person's goodness or worth in the world and um and that that's been part of me not looking at um the possibility of of blindness as being a tragedy it mm. would just be a change yeah you have another series of essays throughout this book based on interviews that you did with blind or low vision artists working in different mediums, and you call them all one of the styles of living. Why was it important to you to seek out and hear from these artists? Yeah, in, in part just because it wasn't... Um, in, I, I did a lot of research around blindness and cultural attitudes throughout history and a lot of that I left out because it just didn't feel like my story to tell I'm still sighted and I have some permanent damage from having so many hemorrhages over the years but right now I'm I'm still able to drive for example you know the things mm -hmm. that um yeah so I just felt like and there's so many people that have educated me through their work and so i i wanted their voices in this and this book though i don't think it's uh over hopefully not overloaded or um packed with quotes from other people I already had more than i've ever put in any other writing i've done so it had already had a polyphonic quality to me that we we're all I was bringing in a lot of different people to speak alongside me. And so it just felt like a step. The next step of that was to invite um, the, these artists in to tell their stories and, and all the different ways of being an artist who is blind in, in the world. And um just stepping back just being the those were long conversations i had with each that each got edited down to a few pages less than a thousand words for most of them and um 
so I, I really just stepped into a listener and editor role for those, but I wanted them to read s- somewhat like an essay, like another essay in the collection. Yeah. Uh, one thing that really, really comes through in this book, and I think in some of these these essays, these conversations you had with artists is how there are just so many different experiences within blindness and vision loss and how it's not the simple binary that some people might assume. And, you know, you just mentioned, though your vision is affected by PXC, you are a sighted person. And at one point you write about how blind people make up a community that you're not currently a part of, but could become part of at any time. What do you think that's meant for your relationship with this community? Yeah, a a lot of the, um, yeah, I don't, I I don't, like, like you read, I don't actively consider myself a part of it because it's, again, not, not, yeah, I, 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 I I just I feel like our um, a f- uh, someone who's um, a listener and friend and on on the outskirts of those communities and um, and happy to um, have you know especially the the folks who are in the book itself. Um, to to have them trust me with their words and stories uh so so yeah maybe that answers the question <laughs> yeah no no i think it does and i really loved that you included um included those perspectives and i think one of the people who you spoke with even said like there's such this wide spectrum even within what is considered legally blind um So, yeah, no, thank you for speaking to that. I want to ask, are there ways in which writing this book has empowered you to move forward into your future? For sure, yeah. Yeah, it it just, I I, I didn't, about 10 years ago, I wrote one essay and interestingly mixed in a, a historical research thread into it. It was braided an essay in that way. And um, and I, I thought, okay, I've done it. I've written about my eye condition. Check it off the list. And, and then it kept coming back into my writing. And um, eventually, about six years ago, some friends and mentors con- convinced me that it was a book if I thought thematically and I thought in terms of the things that I think about all the time that other people might not be thinking about or considering and um, so it's it's been I think back I've been thinking back especially since the book came out in the last month that um, of just uh, yeah where I was 10 years ago when I wrote that first essay and how I was still writing in part like I mentioned, from a place of fear more than acceptance. And I, I feel like for the most part, I'm on the other side of that now. And also just that a lot of things that have been, because I tried to make the book so expansive that a lot of 
things, ideas, stories that have been bouncing around my head for a long time are now on the page. And in that way, I can I've let go of them and allowed space for other ideas and stories to bounce around my head. So it feels like a, just just a huge step in my life. Um, yeah. Joshua, thank you so much for being with us today and for writing this book. Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah. I've been speaking with Portland author Joshua James Amberson. His new book, Staring Contest Essays About Eyes, is now out from Perfect Day Publishing. Coming up on tomorrow's show, cities in Oregon are finalizing their budgets. Many are juggling shrinking funding streams and increasing costs, including the high cost of inflation. We'll hear from two city leaders in Eugene and Hillsborough. Thank you very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Jen Chavez. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. 